Hey guys, what's up? Just a little bit of a reminder, Cinematics episode 180. After this episode, there will be an interview with Eric Holmes and director Kevin Abrams. He helmed the documentary, I Got a Monster. It is the, quote, explosive true story of America's most corrupt police unit, the Gun Trace Task Force, which terrorized the city of Baltimore for half a decade. It's a very, very good interview conducted by Eric Holmes. Again, the filmmaker is Kevin Abrams. The movie is a documentary, I Got a Monster. Specifically, it is in theaters and on digital March 10th. Both Bruce and Eric, spoiler alert, they both really love this documentary. So just a reminder, after this episode is finished, check out the interview, Eric's interview with Kevin Abrams. Thanks again for supporting us here on Cinematics and have a great week watching movies. Bye. Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's a new episode of Cinematics. This is Cinematics episode 180. We have a lot of interviews. Why did I say interviews? We have a lot of movies to cover. I was, th- I was thinking about Find Your Film and all the interviews that I... Eric and I have had to do the last couple of weeks. I'm not doing any more interviews. I give up. Eric, you're doing every single interview from now on, okay? Is that okay? I, I, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. How are you doing? Are you learning a lot from the whole interviewing process? Are you? Do you think you're a veteran now? Or what, what are the most important things you've learned the last definitely, guess, couple of months? Definitely not a veteran, but I, I am getting a bit more comfortable with that, I suppose. I still like if I had my druthers, I'd like to do the ones where it's... Uh, just the title of the question and then cut to the answers of the uh, people I'm interviewing. But as it is, it, it's fine right now. Um, I, I think uh, with the people I interview, I get some good answers out of them. And uh, uh-huh. hopefully I'm not a stick in the mud within that. Oh, good. Well, this week, you, what interviews do you have? You have something for the ritual killer and I got a monster. Can you tell our listeners what's up with that? Yeah, I did an uh, interview with uh, Kevin Abrams, who did the documentary I Got a Monster uh, which we'll talk about later on today uh, in this review. Um, it's basically about a particular case of police brutality. What was it the thin blue line or whatever? Kind of just showing cops doing unsavory things and kind of how they've been getting away with it for a lot. And uh, Kevin Abrams and I had a lot to talk uh, talk about that, and along with uh, some filmmaking stuff that we talked about as well. Yeah, I was telling Bruce Berkey that basically I I want to speed round this whole podcast. We're gonna do two big main reviews. We're gonna do five speed rounds, and Bruce said, "No, you gotta you gotta spend a little bit more time on I Got a Monster. You got a lot of things to say, a lot of things on your mind for I Got a Monster." As far as the Ritual Killer, which is headlined by Cole Hauser and Morgan Freeman, what do you have for us this week on Find Your Film for those interviews? Yeah, for that I interviewed George Gallo and Vernon Davis of the 49ers, which I did not know that was him. I thought it was an actor with the same name. I didn't know it was him until like almost a minute or so before we were recording the interviews. <laughs> and I'm a 49ers fan, so that that right away, like you'll notice if you listen to the interview early on, I'm like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Uh, one thing I do wish I would have brought up is um. Had I done my homework, I would have brought up the Vernon Davis Foundation, VernonDavisFoundation.org, and had him speak on that, but I didn't really do my job properly, so I didn't get to ask him about that. 
So I'm taking the opportunity now to uh, bring it up and anyone that wants to uh, go on vernondavisfoundation.org and check out what that's all about should probably do so. Yeah, I'll leave that in the show notes. I'll make remind me, Eric, to leave that we'll Vernon do. Davis Foundation on the send me the link on the thing and we'll put it on our cinematic show notes. Bruce, I, are you excited about this week? I think you have a couple of movies that you're really passionate about this week. Are, how was it as far as watching a whole ton of movies this week? Mainly all awesome for you? Yeah, mostly mostly all awesome. I saw so many movies that I saw Tar for the first time and John Wick 3 Parabellum for the first time. And I'm not even going to talk about them in this episode. Well, we're going to start off with a, <laughs> a review of Tar from Bruce Berkey. Yeah. <laughs> you nope. say no, I say yes. No, no, music license. I can't. I can't say that. But can you say a couple of words about Tar? Three hours worth it or not? Overrated, overlooked, or overpraised? I know that's a lot to throw at you at what one second, but was it worth your three hours? Worth it. Really good. Uh, I'll go four stars. It could go higher. Could go higher. Okay. And then, no, was that John Wick 3? Was, is John Wick 3 a four star as well? As our, as on the same think level I as went Tar? Three and a half on that one. Okay. For John Wick 3 Parabellum, I still haven't seen that one. Let's get... Well, yes, Eric Holmes. Yes, oh, I was going to say three and a half. That's a star and a half too low, in my opinion. Oh, for <laughs> but John I, Wick But I, I, I love oh, the John Wick oh, movies and very you know excited for the new one. I'm not a big, big, big action guy. They're really well done, but it goes on a lot. There's a lot of it, and it almost is too much. It becomes kind of boring to me. So, Have you seen the trailers for the new one? I have. It looks like even more of the same. Scott <laughs> so, Atkins is in it, and it looks like he's got an actual big character in this yeah. one. I oh, I was already excited about John Wick 4, and to see that Scott Atkins it looks like he's like one of the main villains in the new one. Oh, put it in <laughs> my face right now. Well, Bruce, in fairness, you, you are you are not the biggest fan of action movies. That said, you like the you you have your share of you love your share of action movies, right? As as long yeah. as they're executed within a story like storytelling frame, right? You're saying it's too repetitious, John Wick 3, like some of the stuff. It's just they're the Marvel movies of action movies. They're really, really well done. They're really huge. They're creative. They're colorful. But they're a lot of the same. So if it, if, you, if it's not absolutely your thing, it will be good, but it'll be a little bit too much sweet. You know, it's like, okay, I've had enough of the sweet. I need something else. And Bruce, this week you decided to actually do some extra just box work. Why did you decide to go two two for one on on this week? What was your what what inspired you to actually watch two movies this week? I just have that. stacks of Blu-rays and DVDs, and every so often I see the three or four or five or ten that I never opened and watched. So I'm like, I got to start digging into those a little bit. So. So the two movie, two box movies that Bruce will cover along with some support from Eric Holmes. Well, I think, I don't know if Eric Holmes actually, I don't, did Eric Holmes rewatch Funny Games and Cold War? It'd be interesting. I, I don't know if Bruce was in a happy happy place after watching both those movies. Those movies are not exactly as sweet as a teddy bear driven film we're going to be covering this week called Unicorn Wars. That looks like such a cute and sweet and cuddly movie. I don't know if my prediction is correct regarding Unicorn Wars. Eric and Bruce will have the review as well as I did actually watch Unicorn Wars before we started recording this show. Five movies. We have five movies. Let's start off with something like a sort of a mini plug. Actually, Eric, you look like you have something on your mind. Do you have something on your mind, Eric Holmes? Oh, got lots of things on my mind, but nothing specific. I'm scratching my chin. You're just scratching your chin. That's very offensive. Look, before we get to our main features, I want to do a little mini plug, mini review of a movie that both Bruce and I saw last week. I saw this movie called Craving. It's directed by Jay Horton. It's produced by a colleague, friend of mine named Sean Reed. Essentially, it's a bunch, centers on a bunch of, I don't know, some of them are 
Well, it starts off with people at a bar. Some of them are playing pool. Some of them are having drinks. Some of them are flirting with the, the bartenders. Two of them are female bartenders. I think one of them is played by Felissa Rose. You know her from a lot of films over the years. And so what happens, everything it seems like a normal night at this rural bar until a whole bunch of seeming substance abusers, drug addicts break in. There's one gun in tow, and but there's several different people who break into the bar and you think that there's something going on. They're they're threatening the bar patrons and there's sort of a weird kind of tension between the bar patrons and the people who invaded the bar because some there's something outside waiting for them. There's other people waiting for them. So there's so, sort of a mini war within the bar. There's a war outside. And then to top it all off, there may be a creature or monster within the midst of craving. So ultimately, I like the practical effects. I like Jay Horton as a filmmaker. I think his previous movie was a 2018 release called Death Day, a.k.a. The Campus, which is also directed by my friend Sean. I enjoyed that. I liked the B-level movie, practical effects. Pretty much a lot of the stuff is in one location. I like that aesthetic. Also, a lot of it, actually, some of it is, I take that back. There's a whole bunch of flashbacks, which I enjoyed. It's a very low-budget movie. I liked what they did with the minuscule budget they had to work with. Hopefully, Jay Horton gets more money for his next film. I think just as a film to enjoy, especially, Eric, I, I, I wish you were you saw a lot of movies. I should have actually encouraged you to watch Craving. I have a feeling Craving might be something aesthetically that might be right up your alley. I liked the practical effects. I liked the people in it. I liked the overall story. Three and a half stars for me for Craving, unbiasedly. Bruce, your thoughts on Craving? Well, uh, it wasn't really my cup of tea. We already kind of talked about that. Um, but it's kind of the reverse of what I said with Babylon, right? Where Babylon is, I just keep punching Babylon every week because I'm punching up. Um, <laughs> you know, where it's like you have all the resources in the world, but to me, didn't give me much for all the resources that were used, all the acting, all the talent, all the money. Here, it's kind of the reverse, right? They have hardly any resources, at least in financially. You can tell they're they're working with very little money. They're doing the best they can with what they have. This is kind of like we talked about those movies that are like um, a bunch of friends getting together. Let's make a movie. It has a kind of that ethos to it. So you have to take that big caveat into account when you're watching this movie. For me, I mean, it didn't really work in a lot of ways, but I didn't have a bad time watching it. So I think that says a lot. It's not quite three star banger territory for me, which is when those kind of movies just hit me on all cylinders and know what they are. This movie knows what it is, doesn't quite hit me in all those cylinders. But to be fair, if I dock Babylon down a little bit for the things I said, I, I will push this up a little bit for those opposite things. And I will say, I will give it the exact same score as Babylon, which is two and a half. Two and a half stars for Bruce Perky for Craving. Three and a half stars, a solid recommend for me for Craving. It is currently, as of this week, as of this recording, Available on digital platforms on Amazon, Vudu, Apple TV, and Google Play. Congrats to Sean Reed and Jay Horton and the rest of the talented cast for their work on Craving. Now let's get to one of the big features this week. It's a movie called Unicorn Wars, out in theaters March 10th. Centers on Unicorn. They're having wars. They're not instigating the wars. They're out in nature. They're fighting, yes, the most destructive individuals, as of as of this movie says, a whole bunch of different teddy bears. These teddy bears are, are they're being drilled. They're, I, I don't know, are they in some kind of military camp. So it's a war between unicorns and teddy bears. It sounds really cute from the outset, but not too cute when there's a lot of blood, gore, guts, violence amidst this whole unicorn teddy bear aesthetic. So that is 
a, a lot of the movie centers on these two brothers played by what what's the name there's uh there's Te- what is teddy or no tubby and, bluey. Or, tubby and bluey tubby is a really nurturing guy n- nurturing brother tubby is and he's always looking out for his br- brother bluey is the sociopath who is very selfish and feels the world is against him and who actually reminds me of myself so that is bluey and tubby that, that's basically the premise of unicorn wars does this animated film work on a very sublime level let's see first off what eric holmes has to say about unicorn wars uh yeah this is pretty much uh greatest hits of movies like uh platoon full metal jacket apocalypse now like those kind of movies but it's cute uh teddy bears with giant heads and it kind of, uh, yeah, it, it kind of works almost like a gimmick, but this is so good that the gimmick kind of goes away after a while. And you, uh, at least I started, uh, really leaning in towards what the movie was kind of about and getting into the world of it until it became not so much a gimmick anymore of haha, cute animals in a war movie, but, uh, a really kind of heartbreaking at times and, really suspenseful and just kind of edge of my seat like what's going to happen next uh the the way they uh presented their characters like uh bluey and tubby's dynamic was very well done in this uh tubby just gets pretty much shit on the entire movie and then you get to uh maybe we get into spoilers of what what happens to bluey but this because okay so bruce and i were kind of talking off air um throughout the week and uh, I got like halfway through the movie and I started watching it like real late. And I'm like, I got, I got to go to sleep. And I went to sleep and uh, hit Bruce up the next day. I was like, this is really good so far. I hope it doesn't shit the bed. And then I went and watched the rest of it and it got better somehow. And I don't know how that's how that was possible, but yeah, this is a really fantastic movie. And I think much like mad God, this will be completely forgetting when they come out with best animated features for next year's Oscars. So uh, might as well give it its flowers now. Well, definitely give it its flowers. Now the good news is unicorn wars hitting only theaters on March 10th. Hopefully there will be a, a big audience. G kids. They have it's their share of devotees, cinema, cinephiles who love G kids films. This is, I'm sure, even with the diversity of G kids, that that whole, uh, that whole family, that whole uh, universe of G kids. I think Unicorn Wars is very a very singular film. What say you, Bruce? I agree. Singular is a great way to put it. I think uh, we mentioned Alberto Sanchez. He's the writer, director, the whole mind behind this. And Vasquez, I, yeah, yes. Is it Vasquez? Did I write it down wrong? Or maybe they Yes, it is Vasquez. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Alberto Vasquez. Sorry. I don't know why yeah. I keep writing things down wrong in my notebooks. So do not <laughs> no. leave my notebook if you ever come across it. It could be a total <laughs> lie. Um, so I caught somehow, just randomly, I caught his previous feature, which was Bird Boy. I think there's a subtitle to it, like The Forgotten Children or something like that. I caught that in the fall, and I was immediately thought this this guy has a real interesting vision i don't know if this is consistent but i saw that we had um this movie uh unicorn wars coming up and it is consistent and he definitely has a look an animation style it's not that anime style it's a different style it's still very vibrant and very unique but this is one of those directors like uh i don't know like a david lynch or pick a director where when you see their work you immediately know like oh that's a david lynch or oh you look at anything animated by Alberto, Alberto Vasquez and you will discover like, wow, that he's got a look to his movies. And I watched all of his shorts this week as well, which is a three or four of them. Anyway, this is a great movie. 
I like How were they? Quite the shorts. Too. They're really oh, good. They're uh, I actually watched the, the, I sent it off. I don't know if Eric got around to watching it. There's like a nine, 10 minute short that inspired this. It's different, but kind of mm-hmm. not. It's called Unicorn Blood. Anyway, the shorts are really great. And he has this knack of very, very dark animation with very cute-ish characters and very dark kind of, he really likes to play with like universal themes. He likes to play with kind of the nature of man and, and, and evil and madness and good and all these kind of giant lofty things, but he does it in a very grounded way. What this movie does that I think is excellent is like you said, it, it kind of creates these two main characters, Bluey and Tubby, very, I don't know, almost uh, archetypal characters, right? This is like Cain or Abel, you know, this is, this is the, the two brothers that are at it from literally the womb. And there's some amazing flashbacks in this that set kind of their, the arc of their lives and their kind of competition and their co-dependence also on each other. And then you... You just said married- it. Amazing flashbacks. Amazing yes. flashbacks. That yes. most movies, we flashbacks are filler. Sometimes necessary filler to fill out the story. But these are their own movie. And, yes. and I really loved how... Mm-hmm. It, they're masterstroke. So sorry, sorry, Bruce. Go ahead. No. Yeah. The flashbacks here, what they do is they just... They do what a great flashback should do, Right. It just adds context to what you already know. It doesn't change what you already know in a sense, but it it just it gives you a little more like, oh wow, I see what's this is even deeper than I thought it was. I already knew this was kind of going on, but now I really know what's going on. Their relationship with their parents, I'm just gonna leave it at that, their relationship with each other, and kind of their relationship in the world is is presented really interesting. And on top of that, like Eric said, you've got kind of a basic war movie. You know, you started, what is it, Camp Love or Love Camp or whatever they call it? You've yeah, got, something like that. You've got a lot of the touchstones you get in Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. You deal with authority, you deal with the military and fascism and religion and all this stuff. Drugs. And on, drugs, yeah. And then within that, you have a war movie. And then on top of that, you have this kind of mythical idea of unicorns and um there's even some uh universe building going on here and i I just won't even get into anymore because you start messing with the spoiler territory but it looks great it's really interesting it gets more interesting as it goes very violent very off-putting to some people that would be your barrier to entry is that if they go in thinking it's even anime like it's worse than that in most cases so as far as the blood and violence goes Yes, please do your research before watching Unicorn Wars. It is, like Bruce and Eric been mentioning, pretty bloody and pretty intense. The subject matter behind Unicorn Wars is about what is war, what is humanity, what is the cost of our environment, what is what is collateral damage in, co- in the context of what one is willing to sacrifice within the context of war is really well etched as a story. And I, I will go as far as to say, that even if you're not the biggest animation fan, Unicorn Wars works as a movie to watch as a story because everything is so well-crafted. This is probably very high marks, and I don't think they're... I'll be watching this time and time again as the years go on. So I'm trying to think of any kind of fault within Unicorn Wars, but for me, this is a perfect movie. Let's start off with uh, final thoughts, ratings from Eric Holmes. Uh, yeah, this one's up there with uh, like uh, Watership Down. And although it's not a kid's movie, I think like a lot of the, the lessons and stuff this movie says probably wouldn't be the worst thing to show uh, kids. Uh, so long as they're mature enough to uh, kind of take in those lessons. 
Um, but yeah, similar to Watership Down, it's uh, has the skin of a kid's movie, but it's so much more than that. It goes so much deeper than that. And this is, yeah, this is easy five stars. It's like not even a question. Easy five stars for Eric Holmes. Easy five stars for me, Bruce Berkey. Uh, I go five star classic. This is like the top rating I can give something. Wow. Five star classic. You know, no reservations, no hesitations. That's on the peak. I don't think you've given that rating maybe once or twice in this, in our whole. I think the last pod. one I did that on was Bell, maybe, possibly, mm-hmm. maybe Mad God. Yeah. The, I mean, they're both animated, obviously. I think kind of like Eric, it was five star pretty much probably maybe halfway through at the latest, but by the time I got to the end, it, it elevated. So Bruce, do you, I think Bruce, you saw bell in the theaters as well after just getting the screening link. I think yes. if I recall, yes. Yeah. Is this one of these movies where I don't know if you have time to see it in the theater, but do you, will you envy people who see unicorn wars in the theater with an audience? Yes, uh, okay. I will. Cause I think it's, it is pretty epic. Would you guys not agree? It's epic. And it looks oh, yeah, definitely. amazing when it's in, I mean, the colors in this are so vibrant and so different. It's different. It's not that anime look. And I keep trying to accentuate that. I think this is pretty gorgeous in its own way as well. I forget the name. What was that other animated one that uh, Will and Linda's had us watch? The fantasy one? Hmm. Oh, uh, Spine of Night. Oh, Spine, Spine of Night. Yeah, I was thinking Spine like Spy Thank or you. something, but Spine of Night. This is uh, like, not. It, it's weird. Like, just think of all like the greatest like animated features you've seen that like almost no one knows about. This is like right in there with all those and top tier in that camp alone. I am trying to recall Spine of Night. Is it? I remember flipping over that movie. I think Eric, you flipped on it as well. Bruce, you were, did you flip on it or you were high on it, but not as high as me and Eric, if I recall? I think I was pretty close to you guys. I liked it a lot too. I think the only okay, difference cool. is that's a lot more rotoscoped, which is that Bakshi kind of style. Yeah. But yeah. it was really well done, whereas this is very more, way, way more of a hand-drawn, stylized kind of version. So Yeah, yeah this, sure. one, the, this one's almost like a really uh, nice-looking Pokemon movie, but with war. With war, yes. Unicorn Wars hits all the bases. Five stars from me and Eric. Five-star classic from Bruce Perky again. In theaters March 10th, when it hits digital and on demand, I bet you all three of us will be saving our pennies to purchase it on digital when it comes out. I'm, I'm just assuming we're all going to buy it when it comes out. So next up is a movie that Eric and Bruce saw. It's called Unwelcome. That is all I know about this movie because I just have not. I know it's from Wellgo USA. It's currently out in select theaters, but it hits digital on March 14th. Bruce, what can you tell us about Unwelcome? Uh, Unwelcome, directed by possibly, you might want to look at the information to make sure I get it right. I have it as John Wright. I hope that's right. That is the same director, I believe, as Grabbers. If you have not seen Grabbers from about 10 or 12 years ago, that's a really fun creature feature that you might look into. The basic concept of this movie, it starts out with a young couple, uh, Jamie and Maya, and they literally find out that they're that she's become pregnant, they're going to have a baby. Uh, the guy runs down to a local mini mart to grab some champagne. He gets accosted by some ruffians. They're kind of just a, you know, ne'er do well sitting out in front of the place, kind of badgering him. Right. And he's just very meek and mild mannered. They kind of push him around a little bit. He eventually tells him to F off. He goes back to the apartment. They invade, attack them both. And they barely both survive. Smash cut rural Ireland out in the countryside. I believe it's, if I remember correctly, it's it's Jamie, the guy's um, aunt, I think, who's 
passed away and left him her country estate. So they move off to the country estate. Immediately, they are told by a person that knows the estate, like, hey, I'll come and do this every night. But the little people that live out in the forest near us, you need to give them a blood sacrifice every night. And they're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, blood, no, blood no. offering. A blood offering, yeah. yeah. There's basically like a, a wall and a gate, like this wall and a gate leading to the forest. There's like a little window in the wall, like a little alcove. They say, leave a blood offering every, there every night. And as long as you do that, they'll be cool with you. But if you don't, you're in trouble. What do they take oh. blood samples from their body or do they just they give them like a piece something? of liver, a little piece of liver or something. So they can give okay. them so like they can give them like stuff they buy from the store, but they got to do it as like a way to like respect the old ways or something like that. And Yeah, there was a know. there was a quick part where it was like, "Well, we got to like sacrifice something." I was like, "Nah, just like a piece of liver is fine or a piece yeah. of meat or whatever." Yeah. Okay. So so Maya is like, "Well, I don't want someone walking into my yard every night doing it, even though they're like, "We'll do it. We'll do it. Don't worry." And they're like, "No, no, no, no. We'll take care of this. This is our this is ours. We got this." And uh, that's kind of the basic setup other than the other main thing that happens in this is you have, uh, they have, they have to fix this place up. It's old, it's an old country house, beautiful, but it's an old country house. And uh, you know, the guy isn't too handy. You'll see, you've kind of figured out he's kind of meek and kind of worth nothing, which I, Eric is going to speak more to. <laughs> She's definitely much more uh, able to handle herself in most situations to say that. And uh, they immediately find some, you know, local handy people who can fix their house and those people are kind of, hmm, they're kind of ruffians. They're kind of not the best family. In fact, this might seem a lot like straw dogs in some ways, if you think about it. And I will leave it at that and let Eric okay. take over. Yeah, you got uh, uh, Douglas Booth, who uh, some may remember. He played uh, Nikki Six in The Dirt. Uh, Hannah John came in, played Maya. And she also played Naya in Dark Crystal, Age of the Resistance. And I believe she played Ghost in one of the Ant Man, the first Ant Man yeah. movies. But it's just like the uh, and then Cole Meany, you know him from uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, like the the cast is really good. Um, there's some parts in this movie that I absolutely love, particularly the last half hour. And there is stuff I really do not like in this, uh, particularly uh, Douglas Booth's Jamie. Not Douglas Booth, like like he's playing the part he's supposed to play in this. And I think Jane, the character of Jamie is supposed to kind of get on your nerves a bit. Cause I think, I think that's a point of uh, what they're going for without giving anything away. But yeah, his character, like you just want to reach to the screen, choke the crap out of him and go get it together, man. This, uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made with this movie was uh, knowing what was to come. <laughs> because <laughs> so the entire movie, I'm like, what? <laughs> Let's get to the part I want to see. Let's get to the part I want to see. When, once we got there, though, I was like, oh, oh, just give it all to me. Um, I absolutely want to see a uh, either a prequel or a sequel to this. Um, let's say, let's say the red, the little people, the red caps, when they show up, that's like, like far and away uh, my favorite part of the entire thing. And I want to see a uh, entire movie just mainly devoted to them. To anyone watching this, I would just warn them. They don't show up until like the last half hour. And so if you're like me and you're waiting for that, just be patient, get through it. And then you'll finally get there. And then I think you'll have a great time at, at the last, uh, that third act. Bruce, do you agree that it, it doesn't really kick in? until the final 30 minutes or did you like everything else that happened before that i was more on board on this movie and 
I though I do agree. This is kind of like the reverse, where usually um, Eric is saying like I, I agree with what Bruce is saying factually, but I still really liked it. I'm kind of in that boat on this. Like I did not mind that first hour, but I can totally understand that because if you're kind of like, ugh, I am not feeling this, then you know I can see it being like, get let's get to it, let's get to it, let's get to it, like a monster movie. Like where's the monster? Where's the monster? Where's the monster? But I kind of like both aspects of it. I also loved the look of this movie. This movie is yes. beautiful, crisp, clear, vibrant, and colorful, which is something I've always loved. I think this feels kind of throwbacky. Like this feels a little bit. It's not. It's not done like a Stranger Things or anything, but it kind of just has the DNA of like The Gate or some of those older '80s movies where it just. It kind of just. I don't know. I it did it mixes these genres, but it it worked for me. Uh, I also kind of was really appreciative that this family that comes to work on their house and how they're, they're kind of setting them up as the villains. Like I kind of liked the various, the motley crew that they were also, we didn't mention, I think, um, is it Christian Nairn is one of the, um, siblings that comes to work on the house and he's Hodor. If you know Hodor from game of Thrones, he's also in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will also echo what Eric says. And that is the world building around the little people that we get in the last, third of this movie, half an hour, 45 minutes-ish, it kind of starts to blend in a little bit in the last, I don't know, 45 minutes. That stuff is spectacular. And these movies live or die, I think, off of their creatures. They're not really creatures, but they kind of are. And if the creatures work and they kind of stick the landing, I think you are willing to give, at least I am willing to give a lot of benefit to the first half. So I was was on board quite a bit for this. What is the rewatchability factor regarding Unwelcome, guys? What do you guys think on that? Uh, last half hour, very high. <laughs> Everything before that, yeah, I got it the first time. I could see people like, you know, just coming in and watching the end of this, then watching the last half hour. Yeah, <laughs> and you you would if you had time, you you do a just a rewatch from from point A. I would do a rewatch from point A for sure, but I could also see just watching the end whenever you're in the mood for it because it's pretty pretty great <laughs> wow that is a huge selling point let's go with eric holmes your rating your final rating on unwelcome so the last half hour is like 6.9 star banger um everything leading up to that's probably one and a half two stars i'm just gonna go three and a half seems solid yeah see it seems pretty good it's it, and and that and um I, I also think like the the first the first bit before the last half hour like maybe Maybe if they edited it down a bit, because there was some stuff that they kind of repeat points and, you know, like, okay, we get it. I I think uh, maybe with a little bit of a haircut towards the, the first two thirds, um, that could go up even higher. But I will say I'm a thousand percent down for a sequel with nothing but the red caps. That's all I want to see. It's just a red cap movie, just through and through. Very cool. That is three and a half from Eric Holmes. What about you, Bruce? I this is my personal score is four and a half. I was I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie. I think three and a half is probably realistic for more people. So it's weird that I'm saying I give it four and a half because that's how much I like it. But yeah, probably, of course, probably listen to Eric. He's probably going to more like line up with most people here. Who are the people who are going to line up with you, Bruce, on the four and a half stars? I think people who just who just kind of love that sort of weirdo creature feature movie from the honestly. If you like straw dogs mixed with, I don't want to say the words. I don't want to say it, but okay. Uh, let's just say 
Straw Dogs mixed with the last story in the original Cat's Eye. If that sounds like catnip to you, <laughs> there you're, you go. <laughs> you're good to go. Okay, very, very good. In fact, Great. if they do a sequel of this, hopefully that uh, <laughs> hopefully that troll in Cat's Eye makes a cameo because that would I mean, totally work as well. He could totally come in and be like their you know, American friend that comes to visit. <laughs> All right. So that is a huge endorsement to a movie that I haven't seen. I, I can't wait to see Unwelcome. I believe it's out in theaters and on Friday. Let me see. Unwelcome. Yeah, no, no. March March 8th is now out. My bad. On digital, March 14th. Next up is a movie that Eric Holmes did the interviews with George Gallo and Vernon Davis, aforementioned talent for this movie called The Ritual Killer. What can you tell us about The Ritual Killer, Eric Holmes? Okay, The Ritual Killer, directed by George Gallo, um, starring Cole Hauser, Morgan Freeman, Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis is, uh, well, let's start with Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser is uh, Detective Lu- Lucas Boyd. And uh, he's got some he's got some uh, issues in his past that they flash back to uh, throughout throughout the movie. And uh, there's a been ritual killings uh, by children specifically. Um, and you come to find out that uh, Vernon Davis, uh, whose name is Randoku, uh, he's the one committing all the ritual killers. And Cole Hauser. Uh, employs Morgan Freeman as Dr. Mackles to kind of, uh, cause he knows some stuff about the ritual killings that's been going on. This is not, um, it's not, it, it doesn't look like seven, but it's got a lot of similar DNA as far as like the, the story goes. Um, and it's kind of, uh, it, it, it's pretty decent thriller. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, iconography and stuff of like the thin blue line, stuff like that, the, uh, blue lives matter kind of stuff in the cop house. Um, and we talked in George and I, uh, talked a little bit about that. Um, I will say that, uh, I, I, you know, when I watched this movie, I was kind of not really feeling it. And then as it was going on, I was like, okay, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting into it. And then I did the interview, and we often say like, were you uh, biased after the interview? So I will just say I'm absolutely biased on this movie now. Um, after watching it the second time, I enjoyed it a lot more. And then after the doing the interview, I enjoyed it even more after that. And I think the what did very- you enjoy about the second time, Eric? The second re- the rewatch. What did what uh, popped so- out? I had head canon that Morgan Freeman was uh, uh, Somerset. Uh, this was like summer, you know, a, a loose head canon, but I, I kind of saw it as that. And then also I felt um, I didn't catch the De Palma vibes the first time through. And then the second time I watched it, I'm starting to pick up uh, that this feels like a De Palma movie. And then so now I'm starting to watch it with Greg eyes. And then that's what's making me like it even more. And then I talked to the filmmaker to see kind of what they were thinking when they made it and then that made me appreciate even more than i did and then i found out that vernon davis was randoku which night and day difference from what he is in real life and what he is in this movie and then the ending which we won't give away here but that the last shot in this movie was a banger it's a total banger was was pretty was pretty uh sweet and so yeah this this was a really uh this is a pretty good thriller um, but I just want everyone to know I'm completely biased. And so, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I think it's worth checking out. That said, I also think Bruce will hate this. 
You think Bruce will hate the movie? I, I, I hope I hope I'm wrong, but I I just wanted to I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to lower the bar so if Bruce does watch it, he'd be like, I thought, <laughs> Bruce, what? I, I I thought it was gonna suck. It was all right, you know. So I, I know I know Bruce is kind of. Uh, I could be fickle. You, know, you never know with me. I, I know what I know what Bruce thinks of movies like this. So I, I kind of wanted to set the table for him if if he does go back to watch this. What's interesting about this movie is that it actually opens up with another investigation over in Rome, Italy. So it's c- kind of combining not two stories, but one story in where's it, where's the other well, well one story set in the states and the other story set in Italy. Just a, so, so certain se- sections here and there because you get Vernon Davis character. What is his name? Rendoku or something like that. Rendoku, yeah. Rendoku, yeah. So you see him actually evading the authorities there and just leaving a trail of bodies behind because he is a warrior. He's a serial killer and a warrior. And there's a lot of killing in this movie. The ritual killings. This should, the ritual killer should have been called the the uh, I don't know the the just. The killer is prolific. There's a lot of killings in this movie, especially of police officers. I enjoyed this movie. I had a good time. For me, the ending, which when we're going to talk about probably down the road, Eric talked about the ending. We're going to put that on our Cinematics Patreon for early access. It is going to be a situ- a scene that will be, I don't know, what is it, GIF or GIFT or memed for... <laughs> I, I, for, uh, I could definitely yeah. see that. It, the weird thing is, like, the ending almost comes out of left field. But it totally makes sense with what they set up through the rest of the yeah through the rest of the movie, and I was surprised to know that that was not the original intent when they shot it. But it works so well with what they have set up up to that point. Yeah, the the whole movie is about this killing called uh, Muti, right? Muti, it's an African, yeah. I, I guess, certain region in Africa that uses Muti. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Bruce, where their form of healing is they will cut people's parts of parts of people and use it as a form of medicine to actually heal people. So think of it that way, that these killings, these mutilations are not just for the pleasure of killing. They're actually, some some may look at it as helping humanity by actually hurting other people. You help people, which is an interesting thing that I wish was explored a little bit more in The Ritual Killer. But as far as a genre piece and its use of Brian De Palma's split diopter moments, I'm giving The Ritual Killer Three and a half out of five stars. It's solid recommend for me. What's your rating on this, Eric? I think uh, three and a half is uh, pretty good and might even go up on a rewatch. But okay. yeah, the, yeah, with the, I'm, I'm so blinded by bias, <laughs> but I, I think three and a half is fair, but it, it, it could, yeah, it could go up. Okay. So check out Eric's interview with George Gallo and Vernon Davis on our Find Your Film podcast feed. Most importantly, The Ritual Killer hits theaters and on demand this Friday. March 10th, Bruce Berkey and Eric Holmes saw this documentary called I Got a Monster. I believe Eric Holmes also interviewed the director. I believe the, the director's name is Kevin Abrams. How was your interview with Abrams? Was that pretty cool, Eric? Yeah, that was, we got really into the weeds of what this uh, documentary is about, which is about basically just the justice system in general going unchecked. I mean, they focus more on uh, policing, um, you know, and police reform. But, I mean, that that's basically just the tip of the iceberg because that, that i personally believe the whole justice system is broken um you know they say it's the best we have and you know that doesn't mean it's good um it's just the best we've tried up until this point in my opinion um but the they go yeah they go pretty deep not just in the the uh situation that's going on and the criminality within the police force the inherent racism within the police force, but also how it, uh, you know, actually affects 
you know, they, they do interviews with the victims of that, you know, people whose lives were upended just because uh, one uh, criminal cop decided that they were going to be an asshole and uh, victimize people. And that, uh, and a whole a whole system backing this backing this criminal. It, it was uh, like I I knew from the you know just knowing what this documentary was going to be about. I knew it was going to trigger me in the the best ways possible. And the documentary did not disappoint. All right, directed by Abraham um, Kevin Abrams. Also, it centers on the aforementioned cop that Eric was talking about, quote unquote, super cop Wayne Jen- Jenkins. He was federally indicted on racketeering charges, along with six other members of his colleagues at Baltimore's elite gun trace task force. Bruce Perky, you also saw this documentary, your impressions of it. Yeah, this is one of those documentaries where it, it lives or dies, I think, off of the information, right? A lot of it is like, you're going to discover some things that you might be not, maybe not have heard about. I didn't know much about this actual story. So I got, I think a lot of value out of the, just the details, of the information. And I think that, uh, like Eric says, um, you will definitely be <laughs> triggered if you have any thoughts about corruption and the police force and the misuse of positions of power and the abuse of people who don't have the power. I think, there's a several places this is a really useful documentary and i think most useful in this is hearing the stories of the people that actually got taken advantage of uh, there's at least what would you say maybe six five or six different specific stories they kind of follow of people who got uh taken advantage of by this task force and specifically wayne jenkins if i remember correctly the name and listening to how that goes down is 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 the most impactful to me of this documentary. I'm a little less impacted by the the lawyer who does a lot of talking in this. And there's also another guy that does a lot of talking who was kind of in with Jenkins. The information they give us is important, but I, as I, every time I saw them, I was kind of like, mm, my eyes were rolling a little bit. Like, I don't want to hear from you guys. I'd rather you get the information from someone else because they seem to be kind of enjoying the spotlight a little bit too much for me, but the average everyday people. And specifically, I think where this is super helpful the people that think like this kind of have this attitude of like, well, they must've done something wrong. These are bad people. So, I mean, Hey, they're doing bad things anyway. So what do we care? There's a kind of that attitude people have sometimes, which you could apply to some of the people telling their stories in the sense of they aren't all law abiding citizens, but that does not justify someone else being even more (laughs) heinous to them. And it doesn't justify them getting railroaded for something they did not do. I think that's where this movie kind of shines. Those are the, those are the points when I was just like, yeah, I'm getting really pissed off too. It's one one of the things I also liked about this is usually when you talk about uh, cops, invariably you get the air cool argument, not all cops. Right. It's a way to obfuscate the conversation entirely. And then the conversation goes, oh, clearly not all cops. So not all cops. So we don't have to worry about it. Right. Well, no, we do have to worry about it because this movie points out that, yes, not all cops are bad. But in this uh, instance, all cops looked the other way when things were uh, to the point where they brought up video evidence of the cops doing things. And people are like, yeah, we don't need to see that. I'm like, it's right there. It's right in front of you. And, oh, and the courts that. too. Yeah, exactly. All, all of it. And so the, the idea of that, not all cops are bad. Well, if some, if a cop's destroying people's lives in the way that uh, they did in this and you're looking the other way, I mean, yeah. are, are you not culpable of the same crimes? 
you know, if, uh, if Bruce, uh, me, you, and Greg are together and uh, Greg murders someone and we decide to help him, you know, clean up the evidence. That's called friendship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got a monster. I mean, well. I have tools friendship. in my garage. I have some good saws and things. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But I mean, like it, if we're, if we're helping you clean up after a murder, you know, we become accomplices. Yeah. You know, the, uh, what, oh, shoot, what's the guy's name? Uh, uh, Wayne Jenkins. Wayne Jenkins. He's doing all this stuff, and all these people are just kind of looking the other way, kind of sort of helping them sweep it under the rug, or at the very least, just ignoring it outright. And how, how are they not accomplices to all the horrible things he's done? Granted, he's in, spoiler alert, he's in prison now, and, uh, uh, good for that but i think there's so many more people that should be right in there with them okay so uh look you know what i'm, I'm thinking i i always make these rules but i think after the end of this episode listeners if you're so interested in i got a monster i'm just gonna put right after this episode eric holmes's interview with kevin abrams on i got a monster just so you're in an i got a monster mood i mean we're putting you in some weird moods right now red capping the red caps with unwelcome we have you unicornios a unicorn in unicorn wars and now reality here with i got a monster so look you could hear some kevin abrams stuff after this interview so stay tuned for that with the interview with eric holmes speaking of eric holmes your rating on i got a monster definitely a five and we We've mentioned this with uh, really great documentaries like this before. I worry that the people that need to see this the most will not. And that's that's the that's the only knock I have against this uh, documentary. And it's not at all the documentary's fault that that's sure. the case. It's just a sad state of affairs. Uh, you want your confirmation bias. And if uh, you're the uh, not all cops or Blue Lives Matter person, this is not the confirmation bias you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. So I got a monster. You're rating Bruce Perky. I'll probably go four stars and only only negative i had to it were the the talking heads that weren't the victims i kind of wanted to get that information a little removed from them but it's a minor gripe but it's four stars it's solid it's a good movie yeah okay very cool that is that is i got a monster in theaters and digital on march 10th again kevin director kevin abrams from I Got a Monster will be here listening. Listen to him after this episode before we get to our recommendation this week, the double box picks from Bruce Perky. We also, who's skin beating this week? Eric Holmes? What's his name? Who is he? Yo, Pete, rock that beat. Remove your hand from the box and you die. Looks in the box. Pain. All right, we're back. Pete was rocking that beat this week. He is covering with his buddies, Tyler and Joseph, the film before, I think before sunset. So they're covering that movie and that's check out their podcast feed, middle class film class to hear what they think of before sunset. Are you a huge fan? Are you guys a huge fan of the before trilogies? Any quick oh, yeah. uh, little, okay, I, I, loved it? I think it's probably one of the top trilogies. Like, cause mm. like uh, people always bring up like a, uh, you know, the Godfather trilogy. And we all know that spaghetti. the third one's the best one, but you got the first two that are fine, I guess. Oh. Spaghetti trilogy. Of course. You got spaghetti. Yeah. Well, or like you got the like you got Star Wars, like, you know, people people really love Empire Strikes Back and a lot of people like Star Wars. You know, people always have a issue with uh, Return of the Jedi. You know, there's there's always the 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 great trilogies, but there's always the one that's like, uh, that one's kind of, I guess it's fine. With the before trilogy, at least in my opinion, I think all three of them are great in equal measure. So mm. 
Very good. Right. Pretty, pretty solid trilogy. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, anytime you get a trilogy where all three are equally great, it's hard to deny it. Well, my favorite is the Before Sunset one because of where they were at during that time of, li- of their lives and seeing Julie Delpy singing, pretending to be, well, actually doing her Im- impression of Nina Simone towards the end of Before Sunset. I love that. What about you, Bruce? You're, do you have a favorite from the trilogy? I have seen none of them. You've seen none of them. Oh my gosh. Put it in the box. Put all three of those in the box. There might Bruce be one Park. in the box. I don't even know. But I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> Just so you, if you pick before midnight, put it back in the box until you grab the first one. <laughs> I'll just put Sunset Trilogy and just go in order and just keep putting it go. back in. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, if they're, they're very good movies, Bruce, to say the least. So speaking of box stuff, what do we have here this week for you, Bruce? What have you been watching? Uh, we'll start with Cold War. And I believe, if I remember correctly, from 2018, this was Greg's favorite movie that year? 100%. Right? By, yep. by a long shot. Yeah. I love that. Now, movie. I will say the name right. It, wrong. I mean, is it is it Pavel? Pavel? Yeah, Pavel. Pavel. Yeah, Pavel. Pa- Pavel, Pavel. Pavlis, Pavlikowski? I don't know how to say the name. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's... Uh, look, let me look it up right now. Yeah. It's uh, Pavel... Pavel... Pavlikowski. Pavlikowski. I'm okay. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Pavel, right. Pavlikowski. Anyway... That's the name. <laughs> so, and this is Cold War. It's available on Prime. I actually have a Blu-ray um, Academy screener, which I bought for a dollar from my local library. So that Amazing. was one of the movies that was staring at me. So I thought, what the heck? Let's watch this movie. Um, You're reverse engineering, Bruce, because you were such a fan, of, like all of us, a fan of Compromat. And now you get to actually go be- go reverse it and see what Joanna Kulig is all about because of this movie. Yes, because so. this movie is all about Joanna Kulig. She plays Zula. And then is it Victor is Tomas Cote, I think is, I don't know how to say his name, right? So the basic concept of this movie, first of all, gorgeous black and white cinematography. This movie is absolutely fantastic to look at no matter what. And it takes, it starts out in, I want to say uh, Poland, Poland in the fifties, mostly. I think it starts out right before like 49 or 48, something like that. And basically, uh, Victor is, he's traveling around and they're recording, doing audio recordings of folk songs. You're going to all these different places and, you know, doing these folk songs. And then they have kind of a, a standing audition. So they have all these people come in, folk singers from various places in the area come in and the winners will basically be part of a tour. He's going to create this kind of this concert of folk songs, kind of reorchestrate them and create a tour and go around Poland. And he very quickly sees Zula and he his eyes kind of light up and she's very talented but she's also beautiful and 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 interesting and a little bit daring there's something about her that's that catches his eye so immediately there's a there's a spark there and then this becomes kind of a um you know we're talking about the before and series and all that stuff this is a a a long on and off romance between these two and uh away and together and over various locations the basic winding. concept, various times, they get out of Soviet Poland, they go back to Soviet Poland, They, I'm not going to say who does which and when, there's parts that are in Paris, there's parts that are very smoky and jazzy, there's parts that are, parts that are very folk and more orchestrated, but all the time, I guess the common thread is these two maybe not being able to stay apart, 
and maybe not being able to stay together. <laughs> so they have, right. they have kind of that, I guess you'd say, um, whirlwind romance. It's not always, it's kind of messy and it's, it's, it's very interesting. This is, um, I guess if I have any drawback to me, which didn't put it quite to the heights that Greg had for me, sometimes I didn't quite feel like I was let all the way in. There was a little bit of distance in this movie from them. Like I kind of, wanted to really know where both of them were at. And a lot of it you had to kind of deduce from the way they acted towards each other and from the outside events. And I understand that's showing and not telling, and I do appreciate that. But that pulled me away just a little bit, but that's a minor complaint. It it brings it from a five to a four for me, maybe four and a half, but I'd have to see it again. You wanted to be a little bit more full-bodied in the relationship. I I wanted to kind of feel that that draw that was unmistakable. But all that being said, I mean that and that kind of goes with some of these Eastern European movies. That's kind of that 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 austerity you get with those movies sometimes. I think it kind of goes with the territory sometimes, I guess I would say. But all that being said, there's kind of an epic feel to this. And there's um I, I guess I would compare like the Umbrellas of Sherberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it kind of it's very different. Very different in, in presentation, but there's this kind of melancholy Paul that hangs over the whole thing, which is is beguiling, I guess I would say. And yes. I th- I could see how if you are fully on board of that, or even in a different mood, I could see it going immediately to five stars, just depending on where I'm at in a particular time in my life. This seems like a kind of movie you watch at different times in your life, and it affects you differently. Right. So four stars from Bruce Perky. Actually, it's a strong four star rating from Bruce Perky. It is. It, it could Cold easily War. go up. It, like I said, yeah. I could watch it six months from now and I'd be like, how the hell did I only give that four stars? You know. And to your it's, point, the end, the ending, sorry, the ending of Cold War, it depends on what mood you are during the day or the time of your life. You're either going to love that ending or you're going to say, oh, I really do not like this ending whatsoever. So it really depends on who you are at that I moment. really did like the ending. I, I actually... I almost wanted the last bit to be longer. Like I almost wanted that to expand a little bit, but we're getting into the weeds a little bit. It's, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, it it's on Amazon prime. You can go watch it right now. You right. Should. And they have all prime. the extras on there. Cause it's an Amazon oh. prime production. Oh, that's very cool. So I, I haven't actually checked out any of the, well, you don't need to check out all that stuff because you have to have the, the criterion thing from the library for a dollar. That's a, that's a great steal. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. But if you go, I went and checked. If you go to Amazon Prime, it's one of those ones, like I said, because they produced it, that it has all of the little production shorts that are you get like on a DVD, which is kind of cool. Like it's got like a thing about the music and a thing about the production and some stuff that, that stuff going on. My recommendation on top of Bruce is, and Bruce will, and Eric will probably agree with this, is after watching Cold War, go see Compromat. <laughs> Compromat yes. is awesome. We're, yes. Look, we're talking about action thrillers that doesn't really hit Bruce uh, in right right straight target. Well, this is, Compromat is an action thriller with a lot of meat meat on its bones just because of its story oh my gosh i hope more people see compromise that's i think that's our one of our biggest slept on films this year so far now what's your second box movie bruce so the real box movie that actually picked out of the box was the remake of funny games from 2007 which i don't believe i've ever watched all the way through i my history with funny games i believe eric has i know he's seen it because he's got the thing behind him but <laughs> so we're gonna talk about it he's got the poster some. from this version I, shortly after the original, which was, I believe, in 97, I saw the original not long after that. Uh, like most people, I was kind of blown away and, and freaked out and 
disturbed and all those things that happen when you watch funny games by the original. But when the remake by the same director, basically shot for shot, came out, American remake, I did, I was kind of like in the camp of like, well, what's the point? I didn't really feel like I wanted to rewatch the first one because it's kind of one of those movies that you admire, but don't really feel like you want to see again. I'm kind of glad I did go back and see this. In fact, this is a movie that interestingly, he could almost remake every 10 years. That would be really interesting if he did that Mm. because remaking it is actually kind of an interesting exercise that fits with the exercise of this movie. I will very shortly mention what this movie is about for anyone who doesn't know what it's about. Uh, first of all, this version stars Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, uh, Michael Pitt, um, probably the most notable names in this from 2007. I guess he said he wanted to make an American version because he wanted Americans to see this movie because it's really about the relationship of entertainment and violence and reality and violence and control and what we want in our entertainment when, when it comes to violence. But basic concept, young family, Naomi Watts, Tim Roth and their kid. Going out, I think it's a summer home. I've always wondered about that. I think it's supposed to be their summer home, though. Very rich, gated, giant houses. And they get there. They're setting up. The the young son and the the dad, or Tim Roth, are, are setting up the, the sailboat. Um, the Naomi Watts character is kind of in the kitchen doing stuff. And these two young men show up. Very upper crust looking men in their, you know, polo, white polo shirts, their white gloves. They look like they've been out playing tennis. Very, very polite, almost to a fault. And then it becomes one of those Cook the Frog movies where they're very polite, but things just escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. And it becomes maddeningly, infuriatingly intense and there's all the things we said, disturbing. And the other thing Michael Haneke does with this movie, which I don't know if I mentioned that's who did this, is he plays with direct direct address to the audience several times where they break the fourth wall. And that is a love it or hate it thing. I think it's actually kind of genius. But um, watching this again, it works, I think, equally, if not better now than it did back in the day. I would be curious to see what Eric says. I think this is a pretty impactful movie. Eric, what are your what is your thought on the remake? And then I apologize. What was your rating on Cold War and thoughts on Cold oh, War? I, uh, I skipped over skipped over you on Cold War. My oh fault. shoot, I didn't even so, think you know he watched it either. I'm so sorry, Eric. So so real quick with Cold War, I I didn't rewatch it this week. I just know I saw it uh, probably back early in the movie mainline days or something. I I remember we covered it. So, um, oh, okay. So I, I can't really give a rating anyway because it's been too long. I just remember it was like watching paint dry for me, but. That's because this is kind of like, and you guys probably know my taste at this point. Um, it, th- this would be kind of like a kind of like me watching Ritual Killer going, "Oh, Bruce is going to hate this." Bruce is watching <laughs> yeah. Cold War going, "Eric's going to hate this." Like it, it's it's not in like you know it, it has its uh, great cinematography, like everything indie about porn. it's good. <laughs> yeah, indie. In fact, I think this is where indie porn came from, if I'm if I'm correct. But uh, yeah, this is just, it's just not my movie. Is pretty much what it's boiled down to. But uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but funny games is all right. I mean, wait, funny games is absolutely my type of movie. Even though they're, even though the movie's yelling at me for enjoying it. <laughs> wait, so did you do a rewatch uh, with within last I, week? For- God, I'd, I'd seen this movie so many times. I'd like, so I got the poster right there. I got the poster when I went and saw it um, at the Dundee Theater and back when I lived in Omaha. And uh, they, you know, had the posters. I'm like, oh, that was a cool movie. I checked it, and then came out on DVD watch a bunch of times when it came out on dvd um so i again i didn't watch it this 
week, but I've seen this movie like, you know, it'd be kind of like if we were reviewing Streets of Fire. Like, I don't need to see it. I, I will, but I don't need to see it because I watch it plenty. But yeah, this is a pretty cool movie. I, I love the way it breaks the fourth wall. This might be probably, and uh, what Bruce was saying, like how it's like, you know, boiling the frog. This is kind of perfect uh, description of that. Kind of similar because I saw Cachet after this. And I was really excited for Cachet because uh, I loved how this, the only difference is Cachet, I think the ending is like, not a little, it's a lot more subtle because uh, the ending of this is just kind of like a, a, well, he he does a thing and it's almost like an afterthought to him. It's like, oh my God, that's, that just makes it horrible. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some certain commentary between the, the artists and the, uh, you know, consumer or people viewing the art or whatever. Um, some of it I don't quite agree with, uh, because it's like, this is what you wanted. And it was like, I didn't know what this was walking into. <laughs> so you can't tell me this is what I wanted. I saw a movie. Oh, funny games. I'll go check it out. And then this is the movie I'm presented with. Um, it, it actually not. Shoot, now that I think of it, it's almost kind of like the it's almost kind of like Michael Haneke's letting himself off the hook. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. he's the one creating it. He's the one writing the story. But I think the the argument he's presenting in the movie is I'm doing this because that's what audiences want. And that may be the case, but he's still the one making it. So it's that, it's that and, old like um I'm I'm showing you the evils of like uh I don't know exploitation, yeah. but then you're still exploiting. So. Yeah, that said, I bought it on DVD and watched it a bunch of times afterwards. I'm, I'm, I'm being every bit the hypocrite that he is. Uh, but also to Bruce's point, I think this is um, kind of the commentary that this movie has is kind of ripe for remakes of this. You know, kind of like uh, kind of like the Scream or you know Scream. They keep making the sequels, and every time they do a sequel, it's kind of commenting on ho- the horror genre of the time that sequel came out. Like, I think, um, you know, the, uh, what little, uh, conversation, uh, art, artists and critics have, uh, back and forth. Um, you could constantly, you know, that's, it goes slow, but it, it definitely evolves over time. And this would be a good kind of, uh, you know, film series to be able to comment on that as it goes along. And you don't have to call it funny games. You can call it whatever you want, but I think, uh, I do like, even though I don't agree with all of it, I do like the points this movie are making. And I think there's a uh, room to expand on it further, but yeah, this is a, this is a all timer for me. All timer for Eric Holmes. That means I'm assuming Eric Holmes, your rating for funny games is five stars. Oh, I'll go 6.9 all day on this one. 6.9 star banging for Eric Holmes. What about you, Bruce Berkey? Uh, I go five stars on this. And I just want to underline like 10 times that Naomi Watts is so fantastic in this movie. I mean, she's been great in some other movies, but she is so good in this movie. Look, you don't have to tell that to us, Bruce, because Eric and I already know that whenever there's a Naomi Watts movie, especially something like Desperate Hour or something like that. One star banger all the way, man. (laughs) And look, I, I look, Bruce, Eric, and I said we're not going to put Goodnight Mommy on what's in the box, no matter how many times you want us to put Goodnight Mommy in the box. I'm, curious, I like I'm kind of curious. You have I hated the, I hated the original so much. Oh my so, gosh! So you I'm really guessing do. that I might love hate watch it. So I, I might go. I've looked at it several times and almost clicked the button. So it's you know, <laughs> Eric, have you seen Goodnight Mommy? I don't think I have. 
No. Oh. <laughs> it's it, it just the I I forget uh, titles a lot, but just the your reaction to it leads me to believe I would have remembered if I saw it. So I, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna tell you, Bruce is just gonna hate me even more for saying this. I would love I would love to see Goodnight Mommy every single week. So I love that movie so much. I mean, this is one of these days. We'll figure, listeners, tell us what you think about Goodnight Mommy. We're going to put Goodnight Mommy in, in, either in the box or in our, in our cinematics queue one of these days. Bruce, you'll, you'll actually pick the, you know what, Bruce, whenever you pick the week, you know what, Good Night, Mommy, put it in the box. Let's let, randomize it. Let's see what happens. And I'll, I'll definitely participate that week. I'm so excited about Good Night, Mommy. In fact, maybe I, I'm so excited about Naomi Watson and her career. I'm going to put in The Desperate Hour. There's going to be um, Book of Henry. <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. That was so terrible. <laughs> Remember when we did that? Come on. But that is it. Uh, that's not it because are you going to pick something in the box or are we just yes. what's in the bleeping box Bruce what's in the box uh, this was suggested by what's in the box this was suggested by uh, Jack Fitzpatrick sweet it's called boys in the trees boys in the trees wow let's crash this parade I don't know what that is. Let's, let's crash this parade on YouTube. Jack Fitzpatrick, very good reviewer, part of our Cinematics Facebook group. Please join our group. All that stuff. We have some great members on our Cinematics Facebook group who listen to this podcast. And most importantly, selfishly, they do daily, great daily recommendations. Let's name some of our members. Jeremy Chappell. Who else? Give, give me some more. Ryan Smith. Eric Bruce. Come on. Matt Joseph Stillman. Bridges, Matt Stillman. Uh, Eric. Name some. Angie Clark. Name some. Eric. Yes, Joseph Bridges, Andrew Clark. You, uh, you, you broke up a lot, so I don't know who you said already. Oh, I broke up. Did I break up? I, okay, it's Matoni. Oh, my coming from. Okay. I'm breaking them. There's no, there's no breaking up members. There's a lot of great members on our group. Check it out. Let's see. I'm trying to think of more names, but these are all really interesting cinephiles. There was actually a discussion, I think, yesterday about the validity of if what is it, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Is it a great movie or not? Stillman says no. And there are a couple of people who actually chimed in in a friendly manner to say, well, I, I kindly disagree, respectfully disagree. I think it's really amazing. I forget, forgot who said that, but some really great, interesting movie conversation. There's Nathan Day, who's also an author and teacher and really great guy. A lot of people join us. And before we go, final thoughts? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, check out the interviews with I Got a Monster and uh, the one with uh, Vernon Davis and George Gallo. And once again, since I forgot to bring it up on the interview, uh, check out VernonDavisFoundation.org and see if that is a uh, charity you would like to donate to. Um, but bo- both interviews were pretty fantastic. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with them. As per usual, final thoughts from Bruce Perky. I'm just going to suggest if you want even a taste of Unicorn Wars, go and watch Decorado by Alberto Vasquez. It's about 15 minutes long and it's amazing. Decorado. Okay, Decorado, that is from Bruce Berkey. Well, hopefully we'll check it out and maybe Eric and I will think about that movie as well. We'll talk about it next week here on Cinematics. Sir, I'm Sergeant Wayne Jenkins with the Gun Trace Task Force. So the reason you jump will be to stop getting to the seat by How come you don't have a seat by sir? Assignment for the record. Detective Sergeant Wayne Jenkins. Sergeant, how long have you been involved in the police department? Wayne Jenkins. Love being a police officer, going after the bad guys. What's in the bag? He's very smart. He knew the law. 
was seen as like a super cop. That guy gets the job done. He was on TV at a frequent basis. Unbelievable bust in Baltimore City. Jenkins commandeers a city van, takes it into the middle of the riot, grabs these cops, and he rescues them. Wayne Jenkins is awarded a bronze star for his actions. What people didn't know, the supposed hero went out later and robbed the people looting the drugstores. I got promoted to sergeant, I believe, in 2010, and then I was placed in gun trace task force for Baltimore City. In Baltimore, the officers would stop you. They may take your money, but they wouldn't arrest you. That's a key here. Wayne Jenkins up the ante. He was going to rob you, break in your house, and he was going to arrest you. Why can't I look and see what's going on in my car? It's shocking how brazen he was. He put the unit in sort of hyperspeed. He's a psychopath. He's a gangster. That badge and that gun, man, cut him loose. I didn't see anybody. I only saw you guys walking on my walkway. We quickly realized that they were just robbing people left and right on the streets. I'll make mistakes. Don't touch it. He had turned into something that was not even close to being a police officer. We weren't sitting there minding our business. Amen. Who they going to believe? A so-called officer or a person that had a criminal history? I'm a dead man walking. The criminal justice system is built to believe the words of officers. Because if you don't, then that erodes our belief in what's right and what's wrong. They lied. That's what they do, man. These guys had the power to say whatever they wanted to say, and people are going to believe it. Baltimore City Police Department, they didn't care. They just wiped their hands of everything. Hello, Kevin. How you doing? Oh, a little triggered, but uh, I think that's what you're going for. So it kind of works out. Um, I'm here with uh, Kevin Abrams, the director of I Got a Monster. Um, on the show, first of all, I love this documentary. Um, is 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 angry as it got me. Um, but uh, often on the show, when I see documentaries like this, I kind of lament that. Like for this, I'm the choir and I'm reading your message loud and clear. There's other people that are going to watch something like this. And the conversation almost always goes, not all cops with the idea of obfuscating the conversation, ending it right there. Uh, have you got any sort of, it might be too early, but have you got any sort of feedback with this and uh, with people that uh, kind of uh, back the blue, so to speak? You know, it's a really Great question. And the answer is we did the whole process. I would tell my dad about it. He's definitely has different politics than me. And he would be like, well, you know, A, B, and C. And then when I would show him some footage, it would cause him to pause. And then he would think. And that was just more inspiration for knowing that we we're on the right path to creating a, hopefully, a product that could make people have a conversation as opposed to just sit in polarized sides and not even talk about what, what's the most important thing is protecting citizens in policing and not losing their rights just so that people feel like they can be effective about battling crime. Yeah. And it I, actually, this goes even deeper than that because it talks about just, I mean, the, the, the Wayne Jenkins and his cronies are straight up criminals in this. Just, yeah. uh, I mean, th this almost plays like a heist movie or uh, a real life version of uh training day. 
which is weird because Training Day is an awesome movie. It's like, yeah, Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke, this is great. But then when you see it in real life, it's like, that is just horrifying. Yeah. I mean, that was always one of the the movies that we use as a touch point. I mean, not only did Wayne Jenkins, who is in a lot of ways, you know, the leader of this organization, he used Training Day himself and modeled his personality and behavior after the behaviors of the Denzel Washington character in that. He took pride in acting in that way. So there's a lot of overlap with that film. There's a lot of overlap with other crime thrillers that dealt with corruption. It was always things that we kept in mind were fictional films to use as reference points because so much of this movie has the dynamics of a fictional crime thriller in the cop space, whether it's Serpico or films like that, you have that inbred into the story. So, yeah, I mean, that that was from with it from the get. What what do you feel your responsibility is as a filmmaker for something like this uh, to, I guess, make it airtight or make the make the argument sound? Yeah, I mean, I think we had. Well, that's an interesting question. And for me, there's two parts to it. My emotional responsibility for the film was to feel like I did justice to the victims and that I was able to be a good witness to them sharing their stories. They went through a really trying thing. They were in this city where they were complaining about the abuse. You know, the Baltimore Police Department heard about their complaints. They weren't reacting in ways that were effective. And they had to manage the reality of of being put into these situations. So for us, we always wanted to do justice to being a good sounding board for them. So that was always our, our guiding initial principle. As far as the actual reporting of it, we were working with really respected, diligent reporters on it. They were the people that brought us the story. They were local reporters for the city paper, editors and beat reporters that cover this for years. So we took a lot of their leads in how to make sure that when we were reporting something, it got triple and quadruple checked and that anything that was put into the film wasn't about hearsay, but was about actual documented information. Was there any uh, was there any instances of like uh, maybe something you wanted to put in the documentary that's like, uh, oh, we can't prove that it's out? I mean, one of the major components when we initially brought the story, there was a, a local police officer who at one time worked with Wayne Jenkins. And the night before he was supposedly going to testify against Jenkins, he dies. He gets shot in an abandoned uh, building lot in a very rundown area of Baltimore. He was there. He went to an area by himself. His partner was in the car, heard the shot go off, went to go see him. The guy was bleeding calls an ambulance, the ambulance crashes on the way there, gets him in there. End of it is that he eventually passes away. And one of the major litmus tests in the story was whether people believe that he committed suicide so he would get benefits from his family because of something he was personally dealing with or if he was murdered by Jenkins and his possible cronies because he was going to testify them against the next day. We never felt comfortable going into that story because there wasn't enough evidence for us either way to do justice to a a complicated question of that nature. And he had family and there's a lot of people involved. So very early on, even though that was something that brought us into the case, as far as a storytelling thing that we thought were cool, we decided that we weren't going to explore it because it just became too problematic from a reporting angle. Did you, uh, did you get any sort of uh, pushback uh, behind the scenes while, uh, like trying to, because a, a lot of it's interviews, but you also do uh, reenactments kind of loose, but you, yeah. you have a lot of uh, extra shots in this, uh, particularly a good one in uh, Home Depot, which I'll bring up later. But uh, 
have you got any uh like pushback from the police department as you were trying to shoot this documentary we actually were really fortunate when we got involved in the story it was after the cops were arrested and sentenced so the story was out there wasn't much left to say about it from a front-leaning position from the police department other than they had to do some damage control so they were very welcoming they spoke to us they we interviewed the um, interim commissioner, we interviewed a lot of people within it, and they were all willing to have the conversation, which was really great. The only place that we had trouble getting, I guess, or we had some pushback was from when we tried to reach out to the family members of the police officers and to some of them directly. They just weren't interested in talking to us and it was probably still very hot for them emotionally. And they didn't feel like it was an appropriate thing to get involved in. Well, I'll bring it back to that, uh, the, uh, Home Depot shot, which is very small part of the movie, but I just, uh, knowing what I do know about filmmaking, um, you had some really clean shots, uh, inside and out of Home Depot and this being a documentary. I'm what, like, what, what's that process? Like this had nothing to do with the cop stuff, but just the yeah, filmmaking I mean, aspect of it. I love talking filmmaking stuff. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the film geek in me is happy. Um, so we had a really great cinematographer who had this awesome little getup where he would have this thing called a one wheel, which was a bit of a combination between a motorized scooter and a skateboard. And he would stand on it and he, he would use a gimbal system. He had a black magic 6K camera on a small little gimbal and he would just track people. And that way we're able to do walk and talks, but give it a much different sort of flavor. So with that, in the parking lot, he just ran around with the one wheel for the interior stuff. He hopped off it, and then he just used the gimbal slowly and walked around. And we got some really, really cool footage because of that freedom. And then what's the, uh, I guess, stick on this for a while. What's the process like as far as, um, I guess, order of operations? Mm -hmm. I assume you do the interviews and then you know what shots you need outside of that to kind of accentuate those. Like what's a, I guess maybe a writing process or whatever to shoot yeah. the additional stuff. I mean, you just hit it on the nose. We'd interview the people. If we were lucky, they would actually bring us to the locations, walk us through what happens. And then we didn't want to actually do active recreations in the film. Cause I feel like that device is getting a little familiar right now. So we did suggestive stuff. We used a combination of B roll and sound effects to, create the idea of what was transpiring as people talked about it in an interview without being a hundred percent literal with it. So we would go there, we would shoot it out. I mean, I would sit there with the DP and I'd be like, now do Dolly across this way and push into this and let's get the drone. And he had a great arsenal of toys and we would just try to get as much footage as possible. And a lot of it would be just reenacting the POV of the people involved. And then separately would be what interesting creative shots we can come up with to give it a little bit more cinema because, you know, we're dealing with interviews. There's not a lot of cinema in that, but the images that we can use as they're talking, give us the opportunity to. So we played a bunch. Is there any uh, sort of, uh, because this documentary is very rich and we already talked about earlier that there was some stuff you couldn't use. Um, but is there a, uh, is there any plans to uh, maybe release unused footage or deleted scenes or anything like that? Yeah, we've talked about that a ton. There's a lot of uh, stories that we weren't able to include the film because of just, unfortunately, the limitations of a, a two-hour format. 
So we plan on recutting some stuff, remastering them and releasing them after the film comes out too. So, I mean, that's the major thing. We want to share as many people's stories as we possibly can. And unfortunately, the ones that didn't make it into this product, we definitely want to have people have the access to seeing it at a later date. Yeah. And you also talked about like, uh, you know, wanting to interview the families who they, I honestly completely understand why they wouldn't want to talk to someone making a documentary, but was there, um, was there any other aspects to the story that you wanted to get into the documentary that you weren't able to? I mean, God, I would love an hour with Wayne Jenkins and just ask him the fundamental question, which is just really why, like, why did you do it? Like forget about all the histrionics and like the set deck around it. Right. The money, the blah, like who cares? But like, why did you do that? Why did you do it? Just that's the question I want to know. Yeah, I, I I got my own thoughts on that, but uh, yeah, I mean, not, not here so on do, that. So do I. I have a thousand and one. I just want to hear it from his mouth. Like, I mean, wh- like, why did you do this? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you did uh, bring up in the documentary about him being a. Uh, I don't know if he's in UFC necessarily, but that kind of that kind of fighting and that kind of mentality. Uh, it seems like a lot of cops come from that sort of background, which is completely toxic to what they're supposed to do, which, I mean, you could even argue maybe uh, the justice system just needs to be reformed from the ground up and they shouldn't be doing that at all. But that definitely seems to be um, a certain type of person becomes a cop and maybe that's not the best thing. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the great questions that people are asking right now is what can you do about the hiring process and the, I guess the oversight process once they became a, become a police officer to make sure that they're acting with integrity and those hot headed personalities and the people that like the chase, like Wayne did and the people that like the action and probably romanticized a lot of this through film and content and other stuff that he watched. Like he would listen to hip hop as he would go out and like pretend he was like a Jay Z character. Like he just owned that part of the fiction like, what can you do to make sure that people like that don't get put into the system where they can eventually behave like this? Yeah. And then yeah, and then you have the the court system, which seems to uh, be flawed as well. It just kind of ex- exasperates uh, the, the horrors that the cops themselves are doing. Yeah, I'm glad you touched upon that because that was one of the major quotes in the film that always really resonated with me once I heard it, which was that, the courts are conditioned to believe the words of the officers, not to believe the per- the defendants. And that is where this inversion led to this outcome. Like if they just led, listened to everybody and did the due diligence, they would have quickly seen how falsely reported the cops' arrests were. And they just didn't listen to the right people. But that's also what the system's built on. You know, built to support and trust cops, not the people that are the victims. I mean, that, that, that part was pretty clear in the documentary because uh, the guy had, I have video evidence. Yeah, I don't need to see it. And I'm like, it's right here. Look at the video. I know. That scene always shocks me that the ADA, I mean, he can sit there and like not even be aware of the fact that he's lost the case because there's visual evidence showing his cops misbehaving and still not realizing what that means is just a gross example of where the system is failing. Yeah, this uh, uh, the that that I I just love how you're uh, just kind of com- complete on everything, and I I could actually watch like a three hour version because there's like a the titles at the end, this kind of preamble, which which the victims like they got. It says there was some restitution for some of the victims, but I mean, how do you? 
you're in prison for something you didn't do. How do you, how do you pay that back? And one of the ladies was talking about, look, this is off, you know, expunge or whatever, but people still know about it and people still feel a certain way about me, even though it's proven I didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really heartbreaking real reality. A couple of them touch upon that, but the couple you're talking about, you know, she worked with children. She had a very high visible job where she was tasked with responsibility of taking care of kids. And if they see on her record, even if it's wrong, some association with a felony or a crime of this nature you can only imagine what that's going to do to jeopardize her ability for people to trust her. So the fallout is also the thing that very seldom gets covered in this. I mean, these people were going back and forth and managing the the fallout for years just to get their name cleared, let alone to get reimbursed for the court expenses, to get reimbursed for the time, for what it meant for possible income, all the ramifications. Yeah. Uh, the anarchist in me just says, burn it all down and, rebuild it better but <laughs> you're not the only one a lot of people we interviewed shared that pov yeah um well i, I suppose we're gonna wrap up but uh we'll end with something a little more fun um and you being a, a cinephile i'm sure you'll uh enjoy this we have a what's in the box segment uh we have a box and uh we have people put movies in it uh it could be something personal to you um actually if you if you may i'd like you to put two in the box One's either something that's personal to you or a movie that's kind of underseen. Mm-hmm. And another one would be maybe a documentary or a movie you think would be a good double feature with this documentary. Love it. So Go what ahead. would those, Oh, what, oh, what, 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 what would those <laughs> movies be? And then we'll write it down and put it in the box for later. I love it. Okay. Let me think. Um, as far as a documentary, there's a documentary called, Taxi to the Dark Side. It was done by Alex Gibney, and um, it examines the dangers of our government and the way that we handle uh, political prisoners. And relevant, as always, and a really great job about showing the dangers of what um, we can do, once again, without being proper oversight and how our, this way, in this case, our government, federal government, can be guilty of... Uh, acting in ways that are incredibly malicious and dangerous to humanity and people. All right. And then what's like a more personal one, uh, maybe a movie that was personal to you, or maybe you think uh, that not enough people watch this. They should check this one out. I mean, I always go back to last temptation of Christ. I'm a huge Scorsese fan. And I think it's his most underrated film, the visuals, the soundtrack, unbelievable. You have Willem Dafoe giving a, incredibly legendary performance and he's taking on big topics he's talking about humanity and religion and making it entertaining i mean some some may say a godlike performance exactly (laughs) (laughs) well kevin uh thank you for taking the time i really love your documentary and i i don't think it will but my hope my dream is that this will get in front of the eyes that need to see it the most same. That's why we did it. We just want people to realize stuff has to change.